sorry to keep everybody waiting. This is the mop-up for not October 28th, 2023, not even close. It's November 2nd, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode so I stay in your feed, share it with friends via social media and email, subscribe to my channel and my newsletter, and leave a comment. I read all your comments because you give me ideas, information, and you correct me. For example, two mornings ago, I said Washington, D.C.'s population was a couple of million. Then I hedged my bet and said close to a million, and then I admitted I had absolutely no idea. You would think I'd talk about Washington, D.C. enough. I would know what the population is. So one of my listeners fact-checked this for me. As of the last census, the population of Washington, D.C. is roughly 713,000 people. That's more than the population of Wyoming, which gets two senators. But Washington, D.C. gets no senators, even though Washington, D.C. has more of a population than Vermont, which gets two senators, when, in fact, Vermont should probably get 10 senators. Actually, Vermont should just pick our senators. I have some good news. George Santos survived a vote to expel him from the House of Representatives and lives to lie another day. You're probably wondering why Kevin McCarthy got fired, but George Santos gets to stay. That's because Republicans can only tolerate so many lies from one person. McCarthy, just too big a liar, even for Republicans. Uh, And you don't want to get rid of Santos. He's a once in a generation utility player. He's one of the greats. He's Willie Mays. Santos is the say what kid? He's perfection. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but George Santos is such an accomplished liar that every word coming out of his mouth is actually the truth. That's how great a liar George Santos is. You think he's lying, but he's telling the truth. Now, George Santos has admitted to resume embellishment and a few other little tiny lies which means he can stay in Congress, but he's automatically disqualified from hosting The Daily Show. Great job, New Yorker magazine. Hit piece on Hassan Minaj. Like, there's no other problems in the world. You got to go after a comedian because, what, some of his jokes weren't truthful? Jesus Christ, I'm canceling my subscription to The New Yorker. Santos also, seriously, that was that you're examining an effing comedian, you're fact checking an effing comedian. Shame on you. Shame on you, New Yorker. Shame on you. Where was I? Santos also faces 23 federal counts of fraud, money laundering, falsifying records and identity theft. And by identity theft, it means when you tell the mountain of lies this guy told, you're basically stealing Donald Trump's identity. But take it easy on George Santos. I think the Justice Department is overreacting. For example, Santos is being charged with fraud because prosecutors say Congressman Santos took the credit card numbers from people who donated to his campaign so he could treat himself to a shopping spree where he rang up tens of thousands of dollars. Extenuating circumstances, Your Honor. First off, he had nothing to wear. Plus, there was a 30% off sale at Nordstrom's that he jumped all over with those stolen credit card numbers, so he was actually being very responsible with the money his donors didn't give him. Plus, When you donate to George Santos's campaign, it's pretty much like sitting in the front row at a Black Sabbath concert. You know bat blood will be sprayed all over your clothes. You knew what you were getting yourself into when you donated, when you gave your credit card number to George Santos. Let's be honest, we've been hard on George Santos. The guy's, in my book, a hero. I mean, who lies and says they're Jewish? That was one of his lies. He 
told everybody he's Jewish. Let me tell you something. As a proud, self-hating Jew, if someone lies because he wants to be Jewish, I say give it to him. Go ahead. Take it. I'm going to Tennessee in a few weeks. I'll lend George Santos my Judaism while I'm down there just so I can make it back home alive. Yeah, he lied. He told a couple of lies. He said he worked for Goldman Sachs. I got news for you. Lying about working for Goldman Sachs is way more honest than actually working for Goldman Sachs. Okay, so he's wanted in Brazil for what? Check kiting, check fraud, check fraud, check fraud. Sealing someone's checkbook and forging their signature. First off, in this age of computer keyboards, you have to give the man an A plus for penmanship. Forging a signature is quickly becoming a lost art. Secondly, who uses a checkbook? You're kind of asking for someone to steal it and forge your signature. And he's a United States congressman. That's what these people do. They spend other people's money like it's their own. And quite frankly, compared to the bigots, homophobes, thugs, gangsters, liars, and cheats that make up his side of the aisle, George Santos is the closest thing the party of Lincoln has to Abraham Lincoln. The Colorado trial continues today in which a judge will decide by the end of the week whether Donald Trump's name should be scraped off the state ballot like it was a steaming pile of Rottweiler squat. On Wednesday, Judge Sarah Wallace rejected a motion filed by Trump's attorneys to throw the case out on account of Trump's checks cleared this week, so they'll keep filing stupid motions like that one until the checks no longer clear. If you recall, Section 3 of the Insurrection Clause, I'm sorry, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is the Insurrection Clause, and it prevents anyone from holding elective office if they participated in an insurrection. Colorado and Minnesota are moving very quickly through the courts to determine whether Trump should be taken off their ballots. Now, theoretically, you could take Trump's name off the ballot, but he could still run as a write-in candidate, assuming any of his supporters know how to spell Trump. And now we get to the fun part. Donald Trump Jr. testified under oath and under the influence. He took the stand Wednesday in that $250 million civil fraud trial against the Trump Organization filed by New York State Attorney General Letitia James. Now, the judge in this case has already found the Trump Organization guilty of fraud. He has found Eric, Don Jr., and Don Sr. guilty of fraud and ruled the company must be dissolved and the properties sold off. The purpose of the rest of this trial is to help the judge arrive at how much to fine Donald Trump, Don Jr., and Eric. So basically, Don Jr., walked into the courtroom on Wednesday the same way he walks into any other room, with everybody already fully aware he's a loser, which he is. He's a loser. This is what a damp squib Don Jr. is. He's not only incapable of making it on his own, he can't even fail on his own. He's got a piggy bank onto his father's fraud case. He can't even get his own fraud case going. Don Jr. is such a disaster as a human being, he needs his father's help to go belly up. He's the ultimate Nepo baby. Don Jr. can't even go bankrupt without daddy helping him. Couldn't even do that on his own. Everything in life has been handed to Don Jr. And these days, it's about to be mostly subpoenas. Everything handed to Don Jr. in the next couple of years, it's going to be subpoenas. And it's hard to feel sorry for Don Jr., especially since his favorite pastime is going to Africa and killing rare and exotic animals and then turning them into rugs that fit snugly on top of his father's leaky scalp. Look at this picture. Look at what I don't know. Is that a water buffalo? I don't know what that is, but it it certainly borrowed one of Don Sr.'s skullcaps. That looks like a windblown Don Sr. Skullcap. 
That picture screams Oedipal rage. According to several biographies, Don Jr. stopped talking to Don Sr. after Don Sr. turned out to be physically abusive with Don Jr.'s mother, Ivana. But Don Jr. decided to bury the hatchet and go to work for his daddy when his mommy calmly explained, you're very stupid and nobody else will hire you. When Don Jr. joined his daddy's money laundering operation, Don Sr. would often say to Don Jr., you're an idiot and a moron to his face while sitting around a conference table with co-workers and clients. Often, the verbal abuse directed publicly at his oldest son was so pointed, so cruel, some of Donald Trump Sr.'s closest advisors felt the need to take Don Sr. aside personally and say, when you're right, you're right, chief. You're absolutely right. This is true. I'm not making this up. In meetings, Don Sr. in front of business associates would listen to Don Jr. talk for like three seconds and then shout, can you believe I gave him my name? That's what he would scream in front of others at his son. But to his credit, Don Jr. sat there and took it like a man who nobody other than his father would hire because Don Jr. is a hate-fueled, animal-killing imbecile. When you think about it, Don Jr. is a lot like Trump Tower. His dad slapped his name on him and then lost interest as everyone complained that he had completely deteriorated into a slippery mound of broken-down, foul-smelling sewage. If you've ever been to Trump Tower, you go, wow, that's a dead ringer for Don Jr. Smells like it. It's falling apart. Got Don Sr.'s name on it. Courtroom observers say Don Jr.'s testimony marks the first time in legal history a witness ever tried to snort a line of questioning. During his testimony, Don Jr. denied playing any role in preparing the Trump Organization's financial documents. He said, quote, we left it to the accountants to lie about the value of our properties. Then he added, can we strike what I just said from the record? I wasn't supposed to say that. Don Jr. explained that he didn't even read the financials. He just signed them. So basically, those financial documents are like Donald Trump's three adult children. Grossly inflated frauds completely ignored by the person supposedly responsible for them. Wow, that was a stretch. <laughs> that one was not good. During Wednesday's testimony, Don Jr. came across so arrogant, so stupid, so ignorant. At one point, the prosecutor asked him to take the fifth. Just shut up already. Actually, at one point, this is true. This is this is true. The judge said Don Jr. was talking too fast. This is true. And asked him to slow it down. And Don Jr. explained, even though he moved to Florida, he's kept his New York pace of speaking. Yeah. I think the reason Don Jr. talks so fast these days is because now that he's moved to Florida, the stuff he's shoving up his nose hasn't been stepped on as much as the stuff he used to buy back in New York. That's what I think. That's what they're saying. That's what I've heard me just say. Don Jr. serves as executive vice president of the Trump Organization, which has already been found guilty in this trial of defrauding lenders by inflating the value of properties in order to secure favorable loans and insurance policies. Don Jr. testified that he had no ideas the numbers were inflated. He had no idea the numbers on the financials were inflated. Right. And your girlfriend, Kimberly Gargoyle's lips haven't been artificially inflated either. Look at those things. She looks like Winnie the Pooh thought he could find honey by sticking his mouth into a nest of hornets. That's pretty much what happens to your lips when you stick it into a nest of hornets. I can't tell if that's limp plump surgery or anaphylactic shock. 
Since when did peanut allergies double as cosmetic surgery? Poor Kimberly Gargoyle, Tuesday was Halloween and everybody kept walking up to her and saying, cool mask. I can be just as cruel as they can. I'll be just as cruel as Kimberly. I, I listen to what she says about Chris Christie and Joe Biden. I can be just as cruel as you can. When Don Sr. became president, Don Jr. was put in charge of his father's finances. Sr. trusted Jr. with this responsibility because there was absolutely no money for him to screw up. In the role of trustee of his father's estate, Don Jr. certified the financial statements for the Trump organization every year Trump was president. At one point, prosecutors on Wednesday showed Don Jr. the financial statements from 2017 that were signed by Don Jr., which the judge in the case had already ruled were fraudulent. Don Jr. petulantly, petulantly asked the judge, how do you know they were fraudulent? And the judge said, because your signature's on it. He didn't say that. People find it hard to believe that Don Jr. would sign a document without reading it first. I have uh, no trouble believing he never read the document. I doubt that he was able to sign his name. That's, that's I just don't believe he could do that. Don Jr. said he never went over the documents because when he attended Wharton, he wasn't a numbers guy. Yeah, he was more of a letters guy. And those letters were D's and F's, you animal killing cretin. In depositions taken last year, Don Jr. testified when it came to certifying the financial statements, he essentially signed whatever they put in front of him relying on the accountants to tell him whether or not the documents were accurate. I believe in law school, this is called the idiot son of another idiot defense. Don Jr. admitted he had no deep understanding of accounting rules and implied that whatever he learned about accounting in business school went in one ear and out the other of the kid he paid to take all his tests. Before Don Jr. took the stand on Wednesday, the New York State Attorney General asked banking expert Mikhail, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Mikhail, Mitchell McCarty, uh, he's a banking expert and chairman and CEO of M.M. Dillon, to warm the crowd up with some fun facts and figures before we got to the fun stuff like Don Jr. pretending to sound erudite in his stilted, I went to the best school tone of voice that only a third grade dropout from Alabama could ever get suckered into. So Michiel McCarty, witness for the prosecution, banking expert, testified first on Wednesday, in order to dispel Donald Trump's repeated falsehoods, that even if he inflated his wealth on those financial statements, nobody got hurt. Okay? Because this is what Trump's lawyers and what Trump, it's what they keep saying. So what? They say, so what if the financial statements are filled with lies? Who did we hurt? Well, first off, I know it's hard for Trump to believe, but it's against the law to fill out phony financial statements, regardless of whether or not you harmed anyone. It's basically like saying, yeah, of course I lied under oath, but who did I harm? Perjury is perjury. You're not allowed to do it. But Donald Trump didn't tell white lies. He told orange lies. They're orange lies. And this guy, banking expert, Michiel McCarty, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name. It's Michiel, Michiel McCarty, demonstrated clearly in his testimony while Don Jr. sat in the courtroom waiting for his turn, nervously wondering if he should maybe run to the bathroom and do another six rails of Adderall, while Don Jr. watched, McCarty explained, he's the banking expert, 
explained that by inflating his net worth, Donald Trump had tricked lenders into giving him loans with favorable interest rates. Interest rates that would have been much higher had the banks known that lending Trump money was a lot riskier than Trump, Don Jr., Eric Ivanka, and CFO Alan Weisselberg let on. This is civil fraud. The judge has ruled it's civil fraud. It should be criminal fraud, but it's civil fraud. Now, banking expert Mikhail McCarty, witness for the prosecution, explained in his testimony that interest rates on a loan or an investment are based on risk. Interest rates are determined by the amount of risk the lender is exposed to based on the mathematical chances that the person getting loaned the money will default on that loan and end up paying you back pennies on the dollar. Something Donald Trump has done six times, making him the riskiest deadbeat bet in New York City financial history. Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, the putative Republican nominee for 2024, declared bankruptcy six times. Okay, so so what does that mean? He declared bankruptcy six times because most of us never even went bankrupt once. Donald Trump went bankrupt six times. In the past, he called those bankruptcies, quote, smart business moves. And there are enough fans, idiots, of, you know, who watch The Apprentice who think Trump's playing some sort of three-dimensional chess outsmarting the banks. But no, six bankruptcies means he's a moron. Six bankruptcies means six times the banks who lent him money for his airline, casinos, his buildings. Six times the people who lent Donald Trump hundreds of millions of dollars ended up either getting paid back pennies on the dollar or forced to take his buildings, his casinos and airplanes from him and then try to sell those buildings, casinos and airplanes to try to recoup the money they lost by being stupid enough to lend him money to buy all those things. People who owe, uh, who worked for Donald Trump uh, are owed money. People who uh, Trump owed money to for services provided they all got stiffed. You installed the sprinkler system in my casino? Well, we're bankrupt, can't pay you. Six times this happened. And yet, our country in our country elected this uh, this con artist. And some people still can't understand why more than 25% of our $33 trillion debt was racked up during this imbecile's administration. When Donald Trump calls himself the king of debt, what he really means is, I'm the king of bankruptcy. Borrow hundreds of millions of dollars, then declare bankruptcy and walk away from it. Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey. And when he first took office, New Jersey was running a budget deficit. This was around 2010, the Great Recession. Uh, so around that time, New Jersey was running a deficit. So Trump ran into Chris Christie in Atlantic City at one of the casinos. And Trump said to Christie, you're running a budget deficit. Why don't you have the state of New Jersey declare bankruptcy? This is true. And Christie laughed. He thought Trump was joking. But Trump was serious. He said, New Jersey, have it declare bankruptcy and you wipe out all your debt. When Christie tried to explain that New Jersey's debt is a tangible asset, 
in the form of state bonds issued to investors, Trump said, so you default on the bonds. Okay? What universe are we living in where not only was Trump president for four years, there is still an entire political party that is beholden to him. They won't even make a move unless that move gets this craven moron's permission first. So, I know Trump won the Electoral College in 2016. I get it. There are Americans who are morons and they voted for him and they love him and they don't care who he really is. Okay, so I'm not saying Vladimir Putin, the leader of Russia, got Trump elected president. I'm saying he didn't stop Trump from getting elected president. I'm saying Putin spent a couple of million, a couple of hundred million dollars working social media to spread misinformation that helped Trump along. I'm not saying Vladimir Putin installed a useful idiot inside the Oval Office. I'm saying Putin got lucky and woke up one day and said, hey, I've got a useful idiot inside the Oval Office. If you were a foreign autocrat, a dictator, who wanted to undermine American influence around the world, you couldn't find a more useful idiot than Donald J. Trump. Okay? Now, we forget this. But in January of 2021, when Donald Trump first took office, there were many high-level members of the Obama administration, the Clinton campaign, very important members of the FBI and our intelligence community who feared or maybe were convinced that there was a distinct possibility that Donald Trump was Vladimir Putin's mole. We've blocked this all out. We've allowed it to be discounted. Uh, but in the lead up to the, the Mueller report, there was enough evidence, enough breadcrumbs going from Trump Tower in Manhattan to Trump's dream of building a Trump hotel in Moscow. And there still is enough evidence to suggest that Putin, a former KGB station chief, played Trump and Trump's family so well, they didn't even know they were being played because that's who a useful idiot is this is a use a family of use of useless useful idiots now do i think there but for vladimir putin donald trump would never have been president no no but putin caught the wave and he knew what to do all you need to do with trump flatter him tell him how smart and shrewd he is and give him Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to invest because he thinks you think he's smart. And he has no idea you've turned the Trump organization into an international money laundering operation without him even knowing it. Like I said, you watch the t you can't watch it on television, but you read about the testimony in this fraud trial. The Trump family is a family of useless, useful idiots. So after six bankruptcies, we know that Donald Trump was an incredibly risky loan. If you had a friend like Donald Trump, would you lend him your car, let alone money? Who would lend Donald Trump money and why? Why would anybody lend him money after around the second or third bankruptcy? See, this civil fraud trial that's going on right now in New York, and, it, and he's been found guilty. This is now a trial to determine what the sentence should be. 
this civil fraud trial has the possibility to set the predicate for a much larger trial that answers the questions, why and for whom? Why would Deutsche Bank lend Donald Trump money when everyone, including Deutsche Bank, knew he was a bad risk? Why would Deutsche Bank give him such favorable terms on these loans when everyone knew he was lying on his financials, including Deutsche Bank, the rep from Deutsche Bank testified two weeks ago when he when Donald was trying to buy the Buffalo Bills, we knew his financials were bogus. Why would you why would you still lend him money? See, that's not the question being asked in this fraud trial right now. But this is what New York State Attorney General Letitia James, I believe, is leading up to. I believe the purpose of this trial is to establish, first, that Trump's entire business is a fraud. And then the next trial is why and for whom? Why were people lending Donald Trump money? Whose money was it really? If prosecutors, and I think Attorney General Letitia James in New York State, I think she's going to keep pulling on this string and there'll be another string of indictments, uh, criminal indictments this time. I think we might discover, I believe and I hope, that Trump was such an international useful idiot that his company got turned into a money laundering operation right underneath his nose without him or his idiot kids realizing it. That's why this trial is so important and embarrassing for Donald Trump. It's why he's freaking out. He is freaking out. If you read his social media at four in the morning, it's all caps. He stands in front of the courtroom doors, screaming, violating gag orders. This is the trial that that puts his manhood up for debate. You have to ask, and I believe Letitia James is going to ask this. Why? Why, after six bankruptcies and financial statements that anybody with a business degree could clearly see are bogus, why is Trump getting these favorable rates on these loans? His risk for default is way too high. Any sane, rational lender would demand the highest interest rate possible. And even the bank, you could, the, the back office would say, no, I don't care if, if we're charging him 100% interest. Don't lend him money. The man's gone bankrupt six times. He's, he's no good for it. Unless he was good for something else, like unwittingly laundering money for Deutsche Bank, Russian oligarchs, Miami drug dealers. I don't know. People are asking these kind of questions. That's what I hear. That's what people say. That's what I'm hearing me say right now. Mikhail McCarty, the banking expert who testified on Wednesday, said the first rule of loan accounting is the riskier the loan, the higher the interest rate. You know, I don't understand any of this. And I found that really, oh, okay, maybe I understand how this works. The riskier the loan, the less likely somebody is to pay you back, the higher you the higher the interest rate, the more you charge them for this money. So again, why was Donald Trump getting such favorable terms on on these loans? Well, he lied about his collateral. That's the first excuse, right? He, He lied and said, I'm good for it, when in fact he's good for nothing. But everybody knew he was good for nothing. Deutsche Bank knew he had no collateral. They knew his books were cooked. Yet, 
He got loans with the favorable interest rates. I don't understand finance or lending, but this trial is teaching me that lending money is all about risk. When a bank lends money to someone, the interest rate on that loan is determined by how much of a mathematical risk loaning that money seems to be. So I'm giving you cra- I'm giving you cash. Will you screw me? Will, will you spend it all and not pay me back? That's the question that's asked before you before a lender hands over money. It is why people who have less in their savings account pay a higher interest rate on their credit cards or on their auto loans. It's because they're a riskier loan. Likewise, a bond that isn't a U.S. Treasury, a U.S. Treasury is, unless the Republicans uh, get another two years in the House, uh, the U.S. Treasury is the safest investment in the world. So a, a bond that isn't a U.S. Treasury will pay a higher interest rate to the buyer because it's riskier. A corporate bond will pay an investor a higher yield than a treasury because a corporate bond is more likely to default than a treasury bond is, assuming the Democrats take back the House. Uh, So a corporate bond is more likely to default. And so there's a risk you may not get all of your investment back. So you're rewarded. You're rewarded for taking a chance with a higher interest rate. And then, to make uh, sure the lender doesn't lose money, the lender will often place a bet on the money they just lent you, and that's called a credit default swap. Nice, right? This is, I live in Manhattan. This is what people do all day. Uh, credit default swap. It's how they tanked the economy back in 2008. The banks lend you money to buy a house, but the banks are worried you're not going to pay the bank back. So an insurer sells the bank a credit default swap, which is pretty much an insurance policy on the loan. And it's why all those insurance companies went belly up in 2008 after Americans couldn't pay their mortgages. The insurance companies had to pay off these credit default swaps to the lenders who insured their loans. And because nobody really works for a living in Manhattan, or at least the people who work on Wall Street don't have real jobs, uh, they've now made it possible to buy credit default swaps without even lending anyone any money, right? So you can go to a broker and take out an insurance policy on a loan that you never made. You can take out an insurance policy on somebody else's loan because some privileged piece of shit got an MBA at Harvard or Wharton and has to make a living downtown on Wall Street. So they have to create new paper to trade. So you have people betting on other people's mortgages. You could look at a mortgage. The idea is you look at a mortgage and you decide, "Uh, this person who took out this mortgage won't be able to pay it back. I'm going to bet that he can't pay it back. So I'm going to purchase a credit default swap on the loan. It's not my loan. It's just a bet that I'm placing. The only money I'm investing is on the bet, on the loan, defaulting. And that's what people do all day on Wall Street. They make nothing, they create nothing, they take, they suck money out of the economy and destroy lives. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, about credit default swaps, uh, neither do the people buying, selling, or betting these credit default swaps. That's the whole point. You're not supposed to understand it. In fact, 
After it all tanked in 2008, nobody knew how many trillions were owed on these credit default swaps. It turned out to be incalculable. So the Federal Reserve just vacuumed them all up. With some accounting trick, the Fed somehow transferred the credit default swaps onto the Fed's ledger. And somehow these trillions of dollars in credit default swaps miraculously disappeared. It's like it never happened. They called it quantitative easing or qualitative easing. They had a name for it that nobody understood, including Bernanke, who was chairman of the Federal Reserve at the time. But all these bad bets, these bad loans, they disappeared. But you and I, we still have to pay back our student loans because with us, there's what is called a moral hazard a moral hazard if we allow American citizens to get away with borrowing money, to go to college, to improve not just their own lives, but the life of the American economy, right? When you borrow money to go to college, you're not just improving your life, you're improving the American economy. But those loans, that debt can't forgive that. We must saddle Tens of millions of Americans with a lifetime of debt that makes it impossible for them to buy or even rent a home and participate fully in our economy. But if you sell bets on other people's mortgages and you can't pay it back, hey, you know, the Bible has a whole chapter on Jubilee. Forgiveness, debt forgiveness, forget about it. Just not student loan debts. Anyway, this is why it's impossible to audit the Federal Reserve, because it's all smoke and mirrors. Where, oh, where did those credit default swaps go? What credit default swaps? They always say money or finance is built on faith. In America, it's built on the faith that we are too stupid and apathetic to know or care which questions to ask. In America, finance is built on smoke and mirrors. It's a magic trick. It's sleight of hand. And if you can palm the card without getting caught, they let you keep it all. And the trick to not getting caught, the way you pull that off is letting the people who are supposed to catch you in on the trick. In America, the people who are supposed to regulate all this, they're in on it. And that's what Donald Trump and his three kids knew from square one. When Donald Trump started his career, when his three idiot kids started their careers... They knew from square one, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. You don't need to know what GAAP means. Stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Practices. In the testimony today, Don Jr. said, I I don't really know what GAAP stands for. Is it generally accepted uh, something something accounting Knowing that in Trump world is for losers. Just lie and say you understand what general, generally accepted accounting practices are. Because knowing what it really means, that's for losers. Wall Street, real estate, it's not about being smart, knowing how to read a ledger. It's about selling people bullshit and making sure you don't own the bullshit you're selling them. So, Donald Trump knew what he was doing when he ordered his accountants to inflate his wealth. It meant the self-described king of debt could borrow money and be charged less for the money he borrowed. This is something you and I can't wrap our heads around. But uh, 
So I, I, I went for a walk today and I thought about it and I thought, okay, it's it, credit cards I understand. Credit card debt I understand. So what Trump basically did as the king of debt, in our world, it's like telling Visa that you're worth a billion dollars, lying and showing them phony statements. So they go, oh, there's no risk here. Let's lend him money. And instead of charging him 28% interest, you only have to pay 12% interest because you're good for it. You show them phony financial statements. You want a credit card. You don't want to pay a high interest rate. And your phony statements get you a lower interest rate. So if you put a million dollars on your credit card, there's a big difference between twenty paying 28% on it uh, than there is paying 12% on it. It's fraud. And you and I would get arrested for that. But you're thinking, all right, he pulled it off. Donald Trump pulled it off. Who cares? It's Deutsche Bank. Who cares? And you're right. But Donald Trump isn't Robin Hood. He's just a disgusting hood. That's all he is. According to Mikhail McCarty's testimony, he's the, the witness for the prosecution, a person who actually knows how finance works, honest finance. According to Mikhail McCarty's testimony, Trump, by inflating his net worth on just four properties alone, the Doral in, in, uh, in Miami, uh, Trump Tower, 40 Wall Street, I forgot what the other one is. I'm just those four properties, lying about what those four properties are worth. On those four properties alone, he ripped off his lenders by as much as $168 million. McCarty testified that had the banks known these statements, these financial statements were fraudulent, his interest rates would have been much, much higher. Greater risk, higher interest rates, meaning he would have paid them $168 million extra for the money he borrowed, but he didn't. It's fraud. Those banks, not that I give a rat's ass about the banks, but he stole $168 million from those banks. During Mikhail McCarty's testimony, Trump's attorney objected and said, there was no harm. There was no harm because the banks got the money. The, the banks got the money Trump borrowed. They got it back, plus he paid interest on it. But Judge Arthur Engeron said, I have all, this is a quote, I have already ruled that these are ill-gotten gains, and I don't want to hear about it anymore. Stop telling me this. And he cautioned Trump's lawyers to stop defending these phony financial statements, which Trump's idiot lawyers won't stop doing in the courtroom, and it is pissing Judge Arthur Engeron off. Last week, Trump's lawyers kept insisting, Your Honor, nobody was hurt. The financial statements, even if they were false, nobody was hurt. And Judge Engeron said, quote, You are whistling past the graveyard, unquote. In other words, your argument that you keep repeating is dead. Stop. I already ruled your client committed fraud. I already ruled Donald Trump's business license must be suspended. I already ruled that the hundreds of shell companies Donald Trump set up to purchase these properties 
must be dissolved and the properties turned over and into receivership and then sold off. Angeron reminded Trump and his attorneys that the only purpose of these of the testimony and the witnesses and the rest of this trial is to determine how much to fine Trump before the state of New York dissolves his companies and makes sure he and his three idiot adult children can never work in New York real estate ever again. See, this is why it's too bad these trials are not being televised, right? Judge Arthur Angeron made these decisions, and he said this to the judge, to the to Trump's attorneys today, and he's been saying it all last week, and he'll be saying it tomorrow. Uh, Letitia James, the, the New York State Attorney General, during discovery, went over Donald Trump's books. And she said, you know, we're calling this a $250 million fraud trial. Uh, this is a staggering number that I'm looking at. It's beyond $250 million. She said to the judge, look at the books. Go over the Trump Organization's books. Once you go over the books, Judge Angeron, you will rule that we should just skip right to the penalty phase of the trial. And Judge Angeron went over the Trump Organization's books and said, my God, this is fraud. Guilty. You're guilty. And Trump is trying to control the narrative. So he stands in front of the courtroom doors and goes, aren't I entitled to a jury? This is so unfair. You didn't want a jury, bonehead. Your lawyers and you were offered a chance to have this go in front of a jury, but you chose a judge. You chose, chose what is called summary judgment, where one judge makes the final decision, not a New York City jury, where Trump knew at least was convinced he couldn't get a fair trial because everyone in New York City knows who Donald Trump is and we hate him. We hate him. We wish ill on him. Anybody who grew up in New York City hates that whole family to the core of their very being. You would walk around the Upper West Side of Manhattan, see homeless people, and you go, oh, those are Trump's. Those are Trump's people. Those are Trump's tenants. He created the homelessness in the 80s. We know Trump. We've known him for 40 years. It's why Hillary won New York in 2016. It's why Joe Biden wanted in 2020. If you know Trump, you hate Trump. Ask Melania. We hate Trump and Trump knows we hate him. And it's why he and his lawyers bet on a judge instead of a jury trial. But the minute the judge goes over the books and rules against him and says fraud, Trump spins it and lies and says, why am I being denied a jury trial? You are a liar. Mikhail McCarty, the banking expert for the prosecution, tried to explain to Trump and his lawyers on Wednesday that, yes, the loans were repaid, okay? Yes, Donald Trump repaid the loans. And yes, you're right. The banks made money on the interest they charged Donald Trump. But they didn't get what they deserved. They didn't get to charge him the interest rates he should have been charged because he defrauded them. Banks are basically selling money 
and they want to get the best price they can for money based on your risk. So it's it's kind of like buying a, a $1,000 suit for $500 suits through trickery, right? Through prestidigitation, somehow the guy at the men's warehouse sold you a $1,000 suit for $500 because you tricked him, you know, make change on uh, these bills and you trick them. I used to, I used to pump gas and that happened to me three times where I, the guy would come in and ask me to break a hundred. And uh, next thing I knew, the cash register was, was empty. It, it's a genius. I don't understand how, how they do it. You, they ask you to break a hundred and they change their mind and they say, you know what, instead of uh, this 50, Give me six twenties, and you go, okay. So that's basically what he did to the banks. Uh, they lent him money at a much lower interest rate. They took on more risk, and they were deprived of a hundred and sixty million additional dollars that his loans should have paid them. Again, we're talking about the difference between a bank pocketing one hundred sixty-eight million dollars, or what? $80 million. Who cares, right? A pox on all their houses. Well, in the world of finance, apparently it matters. It's fraud. And it more than suggests that if Trump is willing to lie on his financial statements, what else is he willing to lie about when it comes to his business practices? I mean, it clearly, this trial clearly demonstrates on paper irrefutably with numbers, that Trump has no connection to the truth. It's pathological. And of course, it also begs the question, how could the people lending him the money not know this? So why did they lend him the money? What did they know when they lent him this money? Maybe, and I, I suspect if she's allowed to, New York State Attorney General Letitia James, moving forward, is going to look into whether or not maybe there was some collateral that nobody knows about, right? Because this trial is also about tax fraud, which we're not hearing about. We were told when this trial started that, he defrauded the banks, the lenders, and the government. He would inflate the value of his properties when he needed to borrow against them. But when it came time to pay taxes on them, he deflated the value of these properties. And if you're following this lawsuit, we're hearing a lot about the lenders but nothing about the government, about the tax fraud. So maybe the next phase is, did Donald Trump have collateral that nobody knows about in an offshore account in, say, Delaware or North Dakota? Maybe Donald Trump is borrowing money against money only he and the lenders know about. This never ends, nor should it. He belongs in prison. He belongs in prison. And yet there is, I hate to say it, a distinct possibility. He's, if he doesn't self-destruct, uh, he'll get the Republican nomination. How does he own this Republican Party? How is this possible? I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Thank you for listening to this. I spent the day trying to figure out high finance. So I don't know if this was helpful or not. Uh, and if I made any mistakes, especially about credit default swaps, I'm not sure if you bet how that bet works, but I was trying to figure it out today. 
All these things are complicated. I call it the complexity industrial complex. If you make things complex, complex, then you can make a lot of money. So we need people to, like David Dayan from The American Prospect, who can go through this stuff, sort it out, and then explain it so a moron like me can understand it. So I try to do that today, and I don't know if I succeeded. Thank you for uh, <clears throat> listening to me. Please uh, share this with, with uh, people who need to know this information or who might be able to uh, give me more information. And again, if you have any, uh, if I got anything wrong, please correct me in the comments section. Uh, I read all your comments. Thank you for that. Please like this. That way I stay in your feed. If for some reason you want me in your feed, please subscribe to my channel. Please uh, subscribe to my newsletter, which hasn't come out yet, but it will. And we're going to do office hours. Uh, well, I'm supposed to ask you something else. Send me medication.